Good morning. I'm the Reverend Joe Pagano, and for today's reflection, I'm going to read an excerpt from an essay I'm writing for a new book. The working title of my essay is The Solace of Landscape. And the section of this essay that I'm going to read today is about a hike uh, that we did at Gros Morn. Gros Morn, or Gros Morn, is a Creole phrase used to describe a large mountain that is set apart. It literally means big sorrow or big dismal, a large, lonely, sorrowful mountain. Seems appropriate for a hike during the pandemic. Given the harsh climate of Newfoundland, it is easy to see why French fishermen gave the mountain its dreary name. But today, October 31st, All Hallows' Eve, the weather is exceptionally and unexpectedly clear. We check the revised mountain forecast. A treat, sunny, highs in the mid-40s, gentle breezes. We jump at the chance to climb Gross Morn before the snows cover the mountaintop, later that week, as it turns out. I hastily fill water bottles, throw a handful of energy bars into a pack, toss the gear into our vehicle, and speed to the trailhead. Gross Morn pops up like a pink layer cake, The quartzite cap blushes and winks in the noonday sun. More than half a billion years ago, the top of Gross Morn was a tropical beach of quartz-rich sand. Pressure and heat fused the sands together, producing the hard pink quartzite now exposed on the mountaintop. The interior of the mountain is granite and nice, The oldest rock on the island, formed 1.2 billion years ago. In geological terms, this pre-Cambrian filling is known as the Grenville Inlier of the Appalachian Orogeny, which caused the long-range mountains to rise. 250 million years of grading and pallet work by glaciers and the elements, sets gross morn apart. Today, the quartzite fondant sparkles pink against a sapphire sky. At 806 meters, gross morn is the tallest mountain in the park, and the second tallest on the island. The K-Box in the Lewis Hills Massive is 814 meters. The hike is a 16-kilometer loop that Parks Canada rates difficult. As we meander along the first few kilometers of the well-maintained trail, I do not find it difficult. We gently gain elevation as we tramp alongside Crow Gulch Brook. Walking beside my love, along a gorgeous stream with splendid waterfalls, feels more picturesque than sublime. There is no sense of wildness as yet, 
to evoke the frisson of terror and pain that romantics seek in the mountains. Just a walk in the park. At about three kilometers, the trail swings north. We step onto a 72-foot bridge that spans the Crow Gulch waterfall. Looking down at the crash of water on the boulders below, a pleasant vertiginous sensation mingles with the cool spray rising from the gorge. The trail arcs around the base of Crowhead Mountain and across Ferry Gulch until we reach the base of Gross Morn. A warning sign greets us. Caution. Do not proceed if you cannot see the top of Gross Morn or weather conditions are deteriorating. Reduced visibility may cause you to become disoriented, become separated from your party, fall over a cliff, resulting in injury or death. The adventure begins. I think of biblical mountaintop experiences. Most involve clouds and deteriorating weather conditions. Mount Sinai, when the Lord is present, is covered in thick cloud. The earth quakes, the wind blows, there is thunder and lightning, flashes of fire, and the blast of trumpets. Scholars claim these phenomena are paraphernalia of theophanies. If I remember correctly, the manifestations of God on Sinai reveal an inscrutable Lord. Caution, the revelation of the Lord is paradoxically a hiding of God. The God revealed at Sinai is a God of the wilderness, of the forbidding wastelands between Egypt and the promised land, outside the control of state power or settled cult. The revealed Lord remains sovereign and free. At Sinai, Moses encounters God in the burning bush. God is present, but not visible, manifest, yet hidden. In fear, Moses hides his face and removes his sandals. However, the God of Sinai is not a vague Newman, but the Holy One of Israel, the God of the ancestors, the Savior and Redeemer of God's people. God appears to Moses not to give him a mystical experience, but to give him a task. Deliver my people from bondage in Egypt so that they can come to the mountain and worship me. Moses makes excuses for why he is not up to the task. For one thing, if Moses tells the Israelites that the God of their ancestors sent him, they might well ask for God's name. What should he say? God reveals God's inscrutable name, Yahweh. I am who I am, or I am what I am, or I will be what I will be. 
The answer seems more evasive than forthright. The revealed Lord is the hidden Lord. The point is not a private unveiling of God's identity on the mountaintop to a uniquely sensitive soul. Rather, the Lord will be known as the one who heard the cries of his people, who delivered them from bondage, who led them through the wilderness to Mount Sinai, where he made a covenant with them. But if you really need a name, tell them, I am sent you. After their deliverance from Egypt and the sojourn in the wilderness, the Israelites arrive at Sinai. They camp at the base of the mountain for about 14 months. During this time, Moses made several ascents, sometimes climbing solo, sometimes accompanied by a small team. The presence of the Lord is always shrouded in thick clouds. One time, the Lord places Moses in the cleft of a rock and covers him with his hand as the glory of the Lord passes by. When God removes his hand, Moses glimpses the back of the Lord. Even on the mountaintop, the presence of the Lord remains elusive and hidden. God did not bring the Israelites to Sinai so that Moses could have a mystical moment after completing a free solo. Rather, Sinai is the place where the Lord makes a covenant with his people. Exodus 19, 3-6 introduces the entire revelation at Sinai. Then Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. Sinai is the sealing of a holy covenant between the Lord and his beloved people. More important than going up, Moses came down from the mountain with God's offer of betrothal. The sovereign Lord of heaven and earth chose Israel to be his treasured possession. Sinai is about love, and the way to remain united in bonds of love is to keep the commandments. The law is a gift from a lover to his beloved. The massive literary unit from Exodus 19 through Numbers 10 is the record of this gift. All of Israel was not summoned up the mountain in order to commune with God. Rather, the Lord gave his Torah as the way in which his people could remain united to him forever. The exact location of Mount Sinai is unknown. Perhaps that is telling 
Why return to the mountaintop when the love of God came down in the law? Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. The God of Sinai remains elusive, wild, unknown. Yet, out of all the peoples of the earth, the sovereign Lord chose Israel to be his treasured possession. Love the Lord with all your heart and keep his commandments, and you will be his treasure, a kingdom of priests through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Sinai is not so much about Moses going up, but about God's love coming down.